Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, thank you for being there. Welcome along. It's a brand new writer's routine This week, we're chatting to Danny Wallace. Danny is a novelist, a memoirist, I guess you'd say. Uh, I think his Wikipedia has him down as a humorist. He writes kids' books, he's a columnist, he's on the radio, he has big ideas and he does them and writes about them. Uh, He's a doer, I guess you'd say. We talk about how much he plans things out and how much he likes to keep stuff a surprise. Also, whether he feels guilt about not working on a working day And we find out how he decides what he's writing next. The idea comes first. You go, what if? What if this? Or, you know, what if that? And then you think about um, the best way to do it. Is that a script? Is that just a joke I can say on the radio? Is that an idea for a podcast? Is that a kid's book? What is this? And then you find the right kind of format for it. I'm so excited to share this week's episode with you. Stick around. It's a brand new writer's routine. Welcome along. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside the daily life, the working day of a, of a successful writer, how they get ideas, how they get them done, where they write, how they write, when they write. And today it's all encompassing with all of that because our guest has some fantastic ideas, goes out and does them and then publishes the story. It's someone that I've admired so much for a long time. I guess one of my idols, you could say. I've been reading his books for years. It's inspired me to become kinder, to become more spontaneous, to get in touch with people that I've not spoken to for ages. About five years ago, I would say, when I first started to to think of this show, oh, five years, it really hits it home, doesn't it? Half a decade of this. Anyway, when I first had the idea for this show, I put together a list of authors who I wanted to chat to. And I've cracked through quite a few of them, actually. And today's guest was one of the first names I put down. Danny Wallace published adventure memoirs through his 20s. Stuff like Yes Man, where he said yes to everything for a year. And it led to a a blockbuster movie with Jim Carrey. Also Join Me, where he made a kindness cult 
friends like these, where he's tracked down his old schoolmates. Uh, it's led to him starting his own country. It's led to him trying to enter Eurovision. And then he started writing adult novels, publishing Charlotte Street and Who is Tom Ditto? And he's moved into kids' books. And with all that going on, he's found time to publish a non-fiction book exploring rudeness. He works on a weekly radio show and does a lot more. And his newest book is The Luckiest Kid in the World. It's all about Joe Smith. And it's decided that Joe is the most average kid in the country. But then the fact that he is the most average makes him unique. It makes him the most interesting as well. And everything in his life suddenly changes. Now, we talk about how writing for him has changed between going on strange adventures when he was younger and now growing up and having a family. Also, you can hear why he had an outside office space, why he needed somewhere to go. And also, we talk about what happens when he has that first idea and then figures out what needs to happen next. It's a really good in-depth, into-the-reads chat this week, all about writing, all about how he gets stuff done. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's start, as always, with what Danny Wallace sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Well, I'm not there at the moment. I'm in a different room. I am in a an, like an underground, it feels like a bunker, a tiny window, thick carpet, quite soundproof. Um, and um, this was where I do kind of some of the other side of, 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 of what I do. Maybe sometimes when I have written, I'll come here because I can record in here. But I, I write in lots of different places. Um, I didn't used to. I would always have to have one place, whether that was... Um, in my, you know, in the corner of my my old flat, or whether it was the very top of the house, um, or whether it was an old airbase, um, and I do have, a, I've got one of those um, sheds in the garden, uh, but it's it's not very well heated, and so I tend to, at the moment when the kids are in school, I've got my corner, right, and everyone knows it's my corner. And I sit there and peruse the day's events on a on a on a on a little chair, not a little chair, not like a stool. You know, it's reasonably comfortable. And I have everything I need around me. I've got some books. I have my radio, and I have my laptop. And I usually have a dog or a cat coming and bothering me and telling me to do things, um, because kind of the history of 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 my relationship with where I sit and write, um, it 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 obviously changes and adapts as life grows bigger and noisier. So I guess when I when I first, I used to only be able to write in the evenings um, because I would, you know, I started quite early um, as a writer and I worked on magazines um, and I would always have a lot of writing to do because I loved it. Um, but I couldn't do it during the day because there was all the other stuff. There were the, the beginnings of email and there was just phone calls constantly and people around you. And so it was only in the evenings where I could really sit at my desk in my room and just write, 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 which um, I found easy because um, I loved kind of doing it. So yeah, so my my it was still my school desk, you know, um, and a and a and a unwieldy Macintosh. Um, I've always used Macs, and um, yeah, so that was the earliest one. Well, you live in a, in a completely different kind of space now than you did back then. But if you're still writing quite simply just with you and, and your Mac, is is there anything else perhaps that you need to have around you? Maybe something more more consistent? I've, I've spoken to authors before that like to have strange little trinkets with them at all times just to let them know they're on the they're on the right lines. <laughs> all, um, what, all I need 
is a desk and a computer and a radio. Um, I like to have you know a separate radio rather than listening on the computer because the computer is there for the writing. Um, so I have the radio separate so that if I'm in the moment, I can turn it off and it it just feels like the computer is, you know, still with me. Um, and a cup of tea, you know, I need a big mug. I can't relax unless I have a cup of tea. Um, I know by instinct, um, even if I've left a mug for an hour, I'm not one of those people that has to check. I, I'll know if there's an inch of tea still to be had, even if it's freezing cold. And once it's empty, um, well, after about 20 minutes, I'm like, I should really make and have a cup of tea. And it's there as a kind of comfort. And I've always, always had that. And um, I used to find it very hard to write to music. So I don't tend to listen to um, music as I write, but I will listen to kind of talk kind of stuff. Yeah, the only music I can listen to if I'm writing is an album that I know inside out. Um, The kind of album where in the pause between the tracks, you anticipate the opening bars of the next song because you know it so well, you know the order. And I think that's just because um, I don't want to be surprised or distracted by, by new things. I want that kind of level of comfort because I'm staring at the screen and trying to work out what I'm trying to say next. Um, so, so yeah, so, but the burble of um, just people talking in the background, um, although I hate the way adverts come on too loudly. Um, they can jar you from your from your moment, um, but yeah, a cup of tea, a radio are kind of necessities. Um, I had an office in uh, in London for a while, and it was great. Um, and it was quite a big space with a really big window, and I liked it because I kept it very empty. Uh, I I wouldn't have a TV in there. Um, I would own. I had a sofa in case I fancied a nap, um, but apart from that, it was just the radio and the cup of tea. And um, it was the act of going somewhere, leaving the house where I'd always worked, um, you know, at the top of the house. It was, I, I needed some separation suddenly for the first time. Um, because, yeah, I guess writing is the kind of job where I suppose some people can leave it at the desk, but you're always kind of thinking about the problem that's been set up in the thing you've written or the excitement of where it could go. So it's hard to switch off. And I found that the act of walking through a park, picking up a coffee from a shop, not in a park, I'm not going to pick up a coffee in a park, um, and then going to a place, being there by, you know, half nine, sitting down and cracking on, um, I thought that that was, that was a very, very useful thing for me. Um, and then we moved to America, and I didn't really have my, my own kind of space for a while. So when we came back to Britain and moved out of the city, um, I mean, I've got three kids, and so we needed a bit of space. Um, I, I've got the shed that I mentioned and the corner, um, but I also started I, – I thought, I'll see if I can get an office somewhere. And the office I found was a very big room, too big, um, on an old U.S. Army uh, – no, sorry, U.S. Air Force base. Um, and so I would drive there to this sort of Cold War, like it was – like. It, depending on which way you drove, it could be abandoned or it could be full of JCBs. Mysterious JCBs or buses would arrive and disappear overnight. You wouldn't really see anyone moving them. You wouldn't know how they got there. One day, there'd just be like 200 caravans and then all gone the next morning. Um, one day, you know, you'd be, you have to drive down a runway 
to get to the office. So you're, you're driving sort of Top Gear style down a runway past all these um, hangars, and you have no idea what's in the hangars. And then one day it'll be open and you'll see a ton of classic cars or an old jet or something. And I would sit in this very big room um, with windows that would sort of stream in beautiful sunshine and very fast-moving clouds. And every now and again, no word of a lie, um, I mean, some people will get annoyed by the sound of a lawnmower or a neighbor shouting. I, no word of a lie, so many times would hear something approaching and look up and see an Apache helicopter landing outside my office, then taking off again, then landing and taking off again as as they were practicing, well, landing and taking off again. So you, you constantly had this sort of this this mild threat of, but also the excitement, the childish excitement of seeing a helicopter. And you'd be on the phone to people or on a Zoom and they'd be like, sorry, what is that? And I'd be like, oh, no, it's just an Apache gunship uh, that's uh, putting me off writing. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I kind of write wherever I can. Um, but there's the corner, uh, there's the airbase, and there's there's my there's my garden. So the day begins uh, reasonably chaotically, and I'd always liked the way um, when you kind of work for yourself and it's all about ideas, you sort of glide into the day a bit. You have the the thoughts and the energy, uh, all that goes out the window. Um, so you have to you have to somehow recapture that energy once the door is closed and the the kids are off at school, and. Thinking and noticing is a big part of my job. Um, I need to sort of warm up to the writing, um, and that'll be, you know, catching up on the day. And then when I'm ready, um, whatever project I'm doing, whether it's an article or whether it is a book, um, I warm up by jumping in to the text again at any random point. So I will, it's like a roulette wheel. You're just sort of like flicking through the pages. You'll stop at page 47 on your document or whatever, and you'll have a little read and you will make something better, whether it is um, uh, an, an observation, whether it's a joke, um, whether it's something about a character, it might give you an idea and you keep jumping around. So I'll jump around and I will edit as I go, basically. So I'm always editing the book. Uh, the book is always fluid. And that will get me to the point where I'm reminded of things. I know the world um, a little bit better than I did, you know, 20 minutes earlier. And then I'll pick up kind of where I left off. But it is um, it is a warming up exercise that um, that I've done, uh, I guess, since since the very beginning. And um, and then I, I, I plow ahead. Um, if I hit a wall, um, if I don't know where it goes next, if it's tired me out a little bit, like mentally, um, do something else, uh, something, you know, maybe mindless, like, I don't know, picking up sticks outside and burning them. Um, you know, <laughs> that, that sounds mad, but I just mean, you know, there's a lot of trees where I live, um, and a lot of sticks and you got to do something with them. Um, or it could be playing a video game for a while. And I always find that that um, frees up a part of my brain that I've been using and allows me then to go back and go, right, where were we? Because I'm not someone who, I guess I, I, I plan out the start of things. I have to be excited by the idea. And I have to feel that the idea is good enough to get me to the end. I'll work together with the idea. 
and the idea will have you know it will have new ideas that spin off that I can't anticipate yet and if I try and plan it out too much I might not find those ideas I might not find those um, diversions uh, those uh, unexpected uh, turns in the in the path um, which makes it less predictable for the reader as well because I haven't been you know um, persuaded to take any shortcuts just to get the plan done I'm less likely to be susceptible to tropes um, I'm sort of inventing these p- people or these characters in the novels for example or a script and um, and I don't know exactly everything they're going to do, which I prefer. But I know that the idea will get me through to the end. And when it comes to the end, let's say I'm at that point in a writing day, if I've got maybe, if I've, I'm two-thirds of the way through, that's when I'll sit down and maybe give myself a plan. How do I get to the best ending that I want to get to based on these things that I didn't know were going to happen? Like, how do they all work together to give us a satisfying kind of um, ending? And um, that's when I always panic slightly because I think, oh, there's so much to do. But actually, that's when um, the the book or the novel or the script um, ends up getting finished the fastest um, a lot of the time. And then amongst that, there is um, endless cups of tea. There is, uh, uh, you know, um, lunch um, back in and... Uh, then the kids are back, and basically, until they go to bed, um, there's not much I can really do. Uh, but around that time of the bedtime, I'll come up with some more ideas, or I'll maybe do a, a, a night edit, if you know what I mean. I go back in and just improve a few more things so that I always know throughout the day that at least I've done something, at least I've improved it. So I suppose that's that's the shape of a day. On a writing day, when you're working on a novel, I know that you've just published The Luckiest Kid in the World – um what constitutes a good writing day for you i know that you've said you don't plan so thoroughly but is there an an aim maybe a a word count how many pages you'd like to get done uh, a point you want to be in the story yes um with the grown-up books i always felt that um and i suppose you know uh i suppose it's probably changed over the years but certainly when i was um you know, young and free and full of energy. Um, I, I don't think I'd have been happy with anything less than two and a half thousand words, which is quite a lot, um, I now realise. But at the time, it did not feel like a lot. It was like, no, that's a that's a good day and that's exciting and I enjoy it. So two and a half thousand was, was um, reasonably standard and then anything on top, a bonus. Um, I still think with the grown-up, books with you know a grown-up novel or anything like that I mean yeah I, I would say 2000 and I'd be like yeah that's that's good with the kids books interestingly or weirdly probably because it's a a smaller word count but also because of the energy of those books um and the nature of the shorter chapters and holding attention um I probably go for about a thousand um, as 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 being like okay, I did a thousand words. That's good because you know they're not that long, um, and you can give you know enough thought to them that way as well. Um, it kind of evens out. You're not rushing it. Um, you are taking care with it, uh, and those thousand words have to all count. You know, um, I think the kids' books feel quite sort of. Like every scene should obviously push something forward, but you've got more leeway with the grown-up 
books because you can explore more. Um, with the kids' books, every scene's got to mean something, push things forward. The character's got to learn or do something or have something happen to them that has a, an effect. So I suppose you, you, you slow down a bit there. Do all those words have to be perfect, Danny? Or, or are you giving yourself quite a lot of scope afterwards for editing and tinkering? Are, are you just almost vomiting out any word that comes through your fingers? No, um, no, I don't do that. I know some some people do. There's that you know maybe a method where you just do whatever, um, but I try and make them count. Um, part of that is because uh, I want it to be good first go. It, it's probably putting a bit too much pressure on myself, but I know that I'm going to be going back and that I, you know it will improve. It's just that I want it to be good you know, straight away for my own um, peace of mind. The one time I do do that is if I'm developing a character, let's say I've got the idea. For me, the idea always comes first. Um, then I think about if it's a novel, you know, who who does it happen to? And I'll choose a name I like and I'll give them an age and I will just begin and I'll just throw myself into their world. Um and it's sort of easier if it's first person because you can immediately find out who that person is. And I'm meeting them for the first time. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they like. I don't know who they hang out with. Um, and I sort of find out that way. And that's when I'll write absolutely anything. And some of it will go in and some of it won't. And I sort of do a deal with myself to kind of understand that. But I always feel like no idea is truly wasted. Um, even if you don't use that bit right now or that idea – you can pop it in a in, in in a drawer, even if the drawer's in your head, and and use it another time. And um, and I think that yeah. So with the kids' books, you immediately meet the kids. You immediately kind of establish the idea. With grown-up novels, for example, um, I will do a similar thing. I will write based around the idea. So let's say I wrote a book called "Who Is Tom Ditto," which was about a guy who kind of discovers this movement of people who don't feel quite comfortable in their own lives. And what they do is they follow and copy other people. It's like life jacking. They'll see someone walking down the street that they think looks like they've got it sorted. They are the kind of person they want to be. And so they'll follow them for a bit and they will copy their choices and they'll, they'll, They'll discover foods they've never had before. They'll discover places they've never been. They'll meet people they never would have met, um, all because they're copying someone else's choices. And for that, I didn't know who it was going to be about. But I did know, I, I knew it was going to be a man. Um, and so I just started to write kind of the things that might happen, the things he might see. And I knew that, that was going to be miles down the line in this book, but it helped sort of retrospectively when I was beginning, knowing that was the kind of thing that could happen. So that's when I'll sort of splurge and, you know, just kind of write any old stuff. Um, but I tend to write in order. Now, you're a, a man whose career has happened because of really your ideas. You have an idea and you will go out and, and do that. And, you know, you've got a family now and we're in a culture at the moment where – it's all about the grind, you know, you're working or, or you're failing. It's very hard to switch off because uh, maybe you're constantly comparing yourselves to other people. How, how how do you feel about that? For instance, I, I'm a freelancer and I know that 
if it's one o'clock on a Wednesday, for instance, and I want to take some time to watch a, a film or play on my Switch, I'll feel very guilty for that. How good are you at, uh, t- t- at arranging your life and your week so the work-life balance is working for you? Uh, I'm I'm the same, really. Um, I uh, you know I think I put more pressure on myself now. Back in the day, um, I could have a bath on a Tuesday at two o'clock and be like, "Yeah, that's fine," because I'm going to do stuff later on. And um, you know, it was kind of um, moving things around, still doing the same amount of stuff as other people, but just sort of moving it wherever I fancied moving it, which was great and liberating. And then, of course, familial pressures come in and um, lots of other things. And, um, the, you know, the last few years, there's been a lot less of my kind of other work just because of things shutting down or um, having to, you know, keep your distance or live stuff not happening. And, um, and I've, I've, I've felt a lot of guilt when I haven't been working. I've always had that guilt. It's like Catholic guilt, except without the Catholic bit. Um, and I've always felt like oh, I should be doing something moving forward. And um, I remembered something I thought one day in the shower where I was kind of putting pressure on myself because we all have that thing where we think, oh, other people are really super busy right now. And then I realized that the thing was, you know, and you mentioned it a second ago, comparing yourself. The only person um, I should be in competition with is myself. And the only person you should be in competition with is yourself. And that just means um, pushing yourself to do the things that you can do well so that you feel you're moving forward, uh, whether with a project or an idea um, or, or or whatever it is that makes you a little bit more satisfied with your kind of working day. Um, I hate wasting time. I feel like I, I hate if I feel I've wasted time. Um, and I suppose that's why when we talk about those, those things, those um, – what will you be happy with? A thousand words, two thousand words. Uh, we we set these things for ourselves for our own peace of mind. It's sort of weird and abstract to anyone else. Like, what does it actually mean? Why two thousand? Why one thousand? What are these numbers? Um, but it makes sense to us because you know it's our it's our job, and, and we understand our own pace. Um, what a good day is. Um, you know, someone else might write ten thousand words a day. Um, but they might be terrible <laughs> because it might just be that just like banging on a keyboard. Basically, each word is kind of considered or used as a tool. Um, so it's knowing, you know, what tools what tools you need that day and 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 what you're trying to build. Just a couple of very quick last questions on the actual writing day. It can get quite niche and nerdy. People like to know. Uh, you said that you write on a Mac. People like to know what software you write in uh, with and what font you write with ah that's an interesting one no i i love all this stuff um i used to yeah i've always had max because my dad was an academic and he could get a slight discount a student discount or university discount on max and he had a, a mac classic um which uh the one that you all see in the seinfeld apartment and it was like the most futuristic thing in the world it's like one piece it's just a computer on its own and then i got um an lc2 which was uh, a big monitor and it was quite unwieldy. And when I used to go to uh, when I used to go to Edinburgh, I used to have to take that whole computer on the train um, and get it up there somehow. Then I moved into the IMAX when they came out and they were like the future. Uh, nowadays, I write either on my MacBook Pro in Microsoft Word or on a desktop 
Apple, also on Microsoft Word, so that I can flip between the two. The font I have used um, has changed over the years. I used to write exclusively for about for about 15, 20 years maybe, maybe more, in Palatino. Oh, um, see. Yeah, Palatino 12-point. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more interesting than Times, and it was um, not as uh, utilitarian as Helvetica. It was elegant. And anything you write in Palatino, if you italicize a word, it just looks grown up and elegant. And so you come across as more uh, more of an authority, maybe. Or uh, there's a psychological thing if you're sending stuff off to editors. Perhaps, perhaps it looks smarter. Um, like more intelligent somehow than something in, well, Comic Sans for for certain. Um, these days, uh, I, I then moved into Calibri just because the Mac just suddenly decided that that was what I should do. And I didn't mind it at all. And it felt like a change. It felt like, okay, I'm writing different stuff now. Maybe it's time for a little change. Let's give it a go. So, and also it meant I didn't have to keep changing, finding Palatino, you know, and, uh, and, 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 you know, uh, select all and change. So yeah, now it's Calibri and, um, yeah. And of course, if it's a script final draft, um, which just immediately makes things, I always think if you put something in final draft, you look like you'll know what you, you know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, it looks like a script and that convinces you that you have just written a great script. How do you feel about this? I spoke to the comic Mark Watson, an author, yeah. Hello, Mark. and he said he changes the font when he edits because it brings it to him in a new light. Oh, weird. Well, um, I, uh, you know, I salute that um, lack of uh, control that he is, or, the, or rather the surrendering of control that he's doing, you know. And I understand it as well. And I think that probably music can have a similar effect on how you write. And um, I know people who, if they're writing in like an action scene, will listen to like, I don't know, the soundtrack from a Bourne movie or whatever. Um, and I've, I've certainly found that if I'm trying to write something uh, pompous, you know, like pompously inspiring, a character is really, you know, losing their mind with pomposity, I might... I might write to some pompous music, you know, uh, a national anthem, something like that. And it does, you know, you can set the mood for the writing, which is quite nice. But I've never really considered that with fonts, I suppose, because I would feel a bit weird about that because it would feel, and that's presumably why Mark does it, uh, it would feel like I'd surrendered some control or that it was its own thing. And I need to feel like, no, no, I've got this under control. This is my thing. Um, it's why I always liked school projects at school because it was kind of the one time where the school would go, um, go and do your own thing and just do it well. And that's all I ever want to do with um, my work, you know, do my own thing, but do it well, have that discipline um, and uh, and have that control over it until the day you press send and it goes somewhere else. So maybe I'll try that with the font. I think, I don't think I'd like it. I already <laughs> instinctively know I don't think I'd like that. Yeah, I, I can hear your aversion to it. I, I, I wonder what radio station you would listen to if you needed a, a, a pompous mood. What radio station would take your mind? Well, classic. Maybe Nick Ferrari, I don't know. Yeah. Uh. I think uh, classic uh, would be quite good for that. Um, I, I always like the way classic, it's uh, you know it's that classic FM station, but half the time they just play the theme tune from E.T., 
Um, so it's a lot more accessible than it pretends to be. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Danny in just a sec. Very quickly, just popping up here to say if you are enjoying the show if you've learned anything with Danny in this week's episode or in the 210 odd episodes that we've given you before that that has helped the way that you work that has changed the way that you write you can always say thanks to us for that by pledging to support us and becoming a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine for that you get merch you get bonus content you get our eternal thanks you get a way for your book to sponsor this show as well So if you've published a book in the last couple of years, if various lockdowns kind of turned the big launch into a kind of damp squib, let me give it the talk up that I know it deserves. Let me really plug its wares for you. You can make that happen by becoming a backer of the show at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Just a couple of dollars a month really helps us carry on. It helps us keep bringing you these chats as often as we can with the best authors around. And from April, the plan is we'll go back to doing two episodes a week. We'll have the main one on the Friday and a little best of clip halfway through the week just to give you a bit of Tuesday or Wednesday inspiration. If you'd like to help make that happen, best way is to pledge to support the show to become a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Danny Wallace chatting about his writing life and the new book, The Luckiest Kid in the World. In this half, we run through what he needs to do when he first starts writing, how he gets into the story. Also, you can hear how much he still lives by the rules set during Yes Man. And we pick things up talking about the start of his career and how making his own magazine really changed things for him. That's why I really learned to write fast. Um, Because A, I was very enthusiastic. I was very into video games. Um, But B, I loved magazines because they were like school projects, right? You were just told, here's your magazine, get on with it and hand it in. And that's literally what everyone did. And um, I was working with a team of people who I thought were you know, real grown-ups, but they were, they were about 22 or 23, I suppose. 
And the sales of these magazines were huge, you know, and I was just amazed. Everyone's being allowed to just get on with it. And I was maybe 14 or 15. And um, I soon sort of fell out of love with video games for a while, but I kept writing. And this team of people on this magazine, Sega Power, they, um, they all then went off to different magazines, but they would give me work on those magazines because they, I guess, liked what I was doing. And um, maybe it was a, a, a younger perspective, maybe. And um, suddenly I was writing for all these different magazines, then got into launching one which was uh, very short-lived, but a lot of work. I wrote so much stuff. I mean, I was I remember there was an all-nighter um, just to try and get the first issue done, and I'm just writing and writing and writing. And that was about comedy, which then I'd always had quite a, a comedic approach to journalism, I suppose. And then, yeah, that was kind of writ large in, in, in the books, um, which, you know... Um, you know, each of those ideas I like because you can do anything with them. It could be a, a, a magazine feature uh, uh, idea, or it could be a movie feature idea, depending on your approach. So yeah, so then I got into those, and, and those again for me were, I mean, I even, you know, they were called Stupid Boy Projects um, uh, all those years ago, um, my ex-girlfriend called them. Uh, but but again, project is the word that comes up. And And then you move into adult novels and now uh, younger fiction. I guess the question is, at this moment in time for you, what, what comes first? Is it the idea or the format? Do you have a brilliant idea and think, oh, that would work well as maybe an adult novel? Or do you think, you know what, I'm going to write a kid's novel now. What might work? Um, I would say 90% of the time, it's the idea. The idea comes first. You go, what if? What if this? Or, you know, what if that? And then you think about, um, the best way to do it. Is that a script? Is that just a joke I can say on the radio? Is that an idea for a podcast? Is that a kid's book? What is this? And then you find the right kind of format for it. There was a book I wrote not long ago, during the pandemic actually, where the world outside my window, and, I, and I'm in this apocalyptic, you know, half deserted airbase anyway, hearing about like, you know, this this pandemic sweeping the world and realizing that the real world was weirder than the world I was writing about. And the world I was writing about was, um, uh, I just had this idea. It was just, uh, the title really came to me, which was The Day the Screens Went Blank. And it felt like a sort of like a comedy horror, just imagining, oh my God, one of those sort of B-movies. All the screens have gone blank, you know. And you could take that a number of ways. It could be a devastating six-part Sky One drama with grown-ups, uh, you know, having to deal with the absolute collapse of civilization, all because of screen technology. Something happens, uh, you know, some reaction that, um, you know, renders every phone, iPad, computer, um, uh, air traffic control screen, every petrol pump, every payment service, all going down. Um, or Russia, as we now call it. <laughs> um, and um, And... Or it could be how a kid sort of deals with a huge change in the world, how the family kind of reacts. What? Uh, and I thought that's a better kind of approach because it's very, very micro. It's looking at this huge change from the eyes of one girl who now has to get across the country to check on her grandma because she can't text her, Skype, 
Um, no one remembers landline numbers. Far fewer people have got a landline. All our numbers are kept on our phones. Uh, yeah, she, and she can't contact her any other way. So it's just get in the car, get across the country. And it was a kind of way of looking at the pandemic as well, without mentioning the pandemic. Um, what happens when one devastating change happens? So that was an example where I just went, yep, that is a, that's a kid's book right there. And, um, you know, there are others that I've had where I've gone, oh, this would be a really good game show. And I've put something together and then realized, do you know what? I don't think this is a game show. I think this is uh, I think this is a story instead. Um, an example of that is, is uh, I'd had this idea. I used to ho- host a show for a little while on the BBC called Test the Nation. And I can't really even remember the format, but you, you had to kind of answer questions yeah, you'd answer questions and, and then you'd sort of compare yourself with the rest of the country. So, you know, hey, Ireland, you know, Northern Ireland are, are better on the TV round than Scotland or whatever. And I was thinking about averages and um, I was thinking about, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to find the country's most average man and average woman? And you'd find the average age and the average name of the person who has that average age. So it's 38 and it's called Stephen. And he probably works in this industry, in this town, which is the most average town, and blah, blah, blah. And then you find at the end, Stephen, you know, and you give him loads of money. And then the irony is that he's no longer the world's most average man because he's just been made special. And um, it felt like a very complicated idea for a game show and and very expensive for a one-off. And so I turned it into a story about someone who is suddenly doorstepped and they have been named, you know, the country's most average person. And so that became something. So every time you have an idea that doesn't go one way, you can pop it somewhere else. So 90% of the time, the idea comes first, for sure. And how much do you think about the different audience you're writing for? I know, like I work in kids' media myself, so I know how how tough it is to write and talk to kids in a, in a way that isn't utterly pandering to them. Like, How are you learning that? Who's saying to you, maybe you should be a bit more like this, maybe you should do it like this? Um, no one is saying that. A lot comes from sort of instinct, I guess. But also, the kids stuff. Um, because I have kids, I listen to them a lot, and um, I ask them weird questions. And um, I mean, I've said this before, but when they get home from school, I don't go, "What did you learn in school?" I say, "What made you laugh?" And that way, I learn things that. I wouldn't otherwise hear because those moments wouldn't come up. They wouldn't tell me about them. It was something that was just them and their friends or their teacher. And those moments um, can disappear. They can be forgotten. And I like to hear about them. And it also informs me uh, as to what makes them laugh. I think reading out to them your story is really important for a writer because you are hearing the story and seeing the effect it has. Is it boring? Did that joke not land? Does this need more jokes, or or, or should I take that joke out? Um, so that is that's good, and that's all part of it, kind of listening and observing. And for you know, I wrote a column for nearly twelve years, I suppose, every single week um, for a magazine, and it was just about things, little stories, vignettes um, that had happened to me or that I'd seen, or, or I had to notice a lot. I had to constantly make notes on my notes app in my phone, phrases, uh, situations, unusual things people had done, stuff that I didn't think needed to be done, like when people hand you your change, but they put the receipt underneath 
So you, like, why? It's given me a job to do. And then you sort of spin uh, 800 words out of that, um, of a moment, a tiny thing. You, you somehow make a point um, bigger. Some people would read that stuff and just go, this is, this is stupid. You've just written about change being put in your palm of your hand. But actually, you're talking about behavior. And you're talking about your own lunacy for even caring or even writing about it. And you find a point in there somehow that hopefully kind of resonates. So um, yeah, listening and observing is a, a re- is probably the most important most important thing you do. You need to meet the character because um, you've not met them. You don't know who they are, but you're going to be with them for a for a long time, and you're going to introduce them to everyone else. So you need to work out how they speak. Um, you need to work out what it is about them people will like and what it is about them that people might not like. And you meet them by typing. You meet them by letting them speak. Um, And you'll find jokes. You'll find jokes there. Um, I've just started a new one. Well, I'm nearly finished, actually. Um, uh, And uh, she, I, I found out immediately that she loved school. And she was, she was just going, you know, you know, school, blah blah blah, school. You know, every day's a lesson. In fact, every lesson's a lesson. And then you're like, oh, okay, now I know where she's going, and now I know who she is. And even though she loves all the things that most kids hate, I think kids will like her for what she likes, even though they don't like it. You know, that enthusiasm, that kind of. Uh, yeah, it's infectious. So, so I try to make her like that um, with the grown-up books. Um, it takes it takes longer, but there is a moment. I remember it happening when I lived in London, and I went down to the bottom of the house to make myself a cup of tea because you know I only had an inch left and I was in danger, you know. And I went downstairs, and I remember flicking on the kettle, and that was like flicking on a switch in a sense. Because well, it was literally, but because I I suddenly went. I know who they are. I know them. And I realized I did. I knew the characters now. And they were real. Um, I knew who Tom was in this novel. I knew who Pierre was. And they were like friends. And sometimes, like when you're reading a book that you're really enjoying, and you have that thing where you're like, I need to slow down because uh, I'm going to miss these characters. The same is true of writing. You know, you, you realize, ah... I'm not going to see these people again, and I'm not going to um, invent anything for them again. You know, I wonder what happens to them after I type the end. We're getting into a stage now, post-lockdowns, as they kind of, it's been decided that everything's over. Um, What, and, you know, maybe you might get more of the stuff that you were doing, so you might have to dedicate less time to actually writing your novels. How kind of thoroughly do you plan a year in the life of, of Danny Wallace. So do you think, right, I'm going to give May to June or whatever it is over to writing this book, then I'll do this, then I'll do this, or is it all a bit of a, a hot pot? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it varies. There's, no two years have ever really been the same. Um, but if there's something I, I want to do, and I'm lucky enough to be able to do it, um, that deadline, it, it's very rare that I miss a deadline. Um, so that deadline goes in, and I work backwards from there, realizing how much time I'll need to do that. However, that's not the only thing I'm going to be doing. So there'll be regular things that come in, regular 
Um, like I do a radio show on Sundays, and that means generally on a Friday I need some time to prep a little stuff for that. Um, so that's a bit of Friday gone. So I know that that can't happen. I know that you know we uh, we need to maintain a basic level of hygiene in the house. So the cleaners are coming on a Tuesday morning. Um, so uh, so so I know that Tuesdays are going to be harder to write. So I, I sort of politely fit myself in <laughs> around the, the the demands of others, um, but. In terms of the projects this year, for example, I know that I'm about to hand in another um, kids book, and then I'm gonna. Um, it looks like start work on a, uh, a grown-up book, which um, will require a lot of work. So I'll need to carve out a good amount of time for that. And in between, I want to be doing my radio show, and I want to be doing um, another weekly podcast that I do. And there's a, a project I've started with a friend you know, where we do this newsletter, but it's almost like a, a magazine where we write about all the things that we just want to talk about, things that we think are useful um, that we send out. So there's lots of little um, markers in the week, but also an overarching sense that there is always a bigger project that I have to have done. Um, and that can also be self-set. So there's a, a, a script um, that I've uh, just written that um, I just um, I just went, right, the next two weeks, I'm doing that. So, so yeah, it, you know, it, it, it does change. It's all a, a movable feast. And lastly, I first came to know your work through Yes Man, which was, I don't know, many years ago now. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a time in your life when you have other people that are dependent on you, you know, you've got a family, you, you've got a lot of work on. How much, so what I mean by that is you can't simply say yes to every single question that's given to you. No, yeah. How, how much does that rule of saying yes uh, affect the way that you live your life now? Um, it's still there. Um, I say yes a lot more than I think I would have. I don't say yes to everything um, because the kids can't have McDonald's three times a day. Um but I, uh, I certainly, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm open to ideas that the kids have as well. If, if there's something they really want to do, um, if there's a place they want to visit, even if it's like a hassle and, you know, you're going to have to change buses twice or whatever, it's like, well, you want to do it. So let's try it. Let's say yes. Um, so, so I think that, I think it's important. I think it's important to have spontaneity. I think like we were saying earlier, even that idea of, I was talking about of that underground movement of people who just copy other people. I think that actually that can be, that can lead to a lot of spontaneity. And that, that idea of meeting people you never would have met and seeing places you never would have seen, I think that's very important. Um, you meet people much more often than I thought you would who have never really left their town. Um you know, they might have gone to the biggest city near them, but but it's not through a lack of ability. Sometimes it's a lack of curiosity. Um, and I think it's really, really good to be curious. That is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Danny for coming on the show, for finally letting me cross off that name from the list that I've had for the last five or so years. Uh, that book, the new one, is The Luckiest Kid in the World. If you've got kids yourself, if you know anyone that you're trying to get into reading, 
you can do a lot worse than starting with Danny's children's books. He's got this one. There's a few others. There's also the Hamish series as well, which are fantastic. And if you've never picked up Danny's adult work, so his fiction novels, and for me particularly his uh, stupid boy projects, is that what they called them? Silly boy projects, something like that, whatever he said. Uh, Really, really go out of your way to read one of them. Yes Man is a personal favourite really got me into it he says yes to everything for a year it takes him all around the world there's join me as well which is fantastic where he starts his own kindness cult um yeah he's a he's a fantastic ideas man and is one of a kind in translating those ideas and adventures onto the page have a read of his books if you've not so far. I hope today's has inspired you to do that. Now, next week on the show, we're chatting to the CWA New Blood Dagger Award nominee, Philippa East, about her brand new novel, Safe and Sound, which is, by the way, this has got the greatest hook of any story I've ever read. I looked through the blurb and I just felt I had to read the whole thing. It's fantastic. About a very gregarious, extroverted person who is found dead in her flat and she's been dead for the last few years. How does that happen? You can find out with Philippa East next week on Writer's Routine. In the meantime, you can help us out. Become a backer at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Give us a follow on Twitter at writer's pod there and you can get in touch at writersroutine.com. And I will see you next week with Philippa East on the show. Until then, bye. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs>